All righty. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate that, brother. Um, yeah, and thank you for being here tonight and looking forward to diving in this text uh, with you guys this evening. So uh, maybe one thing before we get into the text. Um, uh, sometimes you don't know kind of like what's going to come out emotionally as you work through a sermon. So uh, I just want to give you a heads up. This is a, a pretty uh, personal sermon for me. Um, I heard somebody, and this may sound really weird, so please laugh with me. I heard somebody describe preaching as uh, getting on stage, taking off your clothes, and then putting them back on, and then walking around and saying, hey, how did that go? And so, and that's, there's a lot of truth to that. Amen, Josh? Amen? It's like, oh my gosh. And so this may be a little bit, uh, a little more vulnerable than I'm used to doing, especially to a congregation I don't know very well. But I feel like this message today is, is something that um, I'm still working through, honestly. And even the text that we just got on reading, and we're going to unpack that in just a minute. It's not hard to understand the passage. I think living the passage has been really difficult for me, and I'm still uh, learning. And so I, I say the whole emotional thing just to say that I don't have any plans of crying or getting emotional this evening, but uh, you get away from your normalcy of life and all the stuff that goes on, and you don't know what kind of comes up. I remember doing a retreat several years ago. It was right during the capital campaign, which almost killed us, right? Uh, man, and you guys are still here. Thank God we're still alive, and you planned this church, and Ashley's still here, so... Uh, but I remember doing a retreat during that season. It was like in February. I did it for a friend of mine. And it was the last morning of the session. And I preached and I prayed. And while I'm praying, I am weeping. I'm weeping. I got a group of sixth graders that are sitting on the front row saying, this guy's having a mental breakdown right now. It's like, what in God's creation is going on with him? And I just think it was all the stuff that was happening. I got away and it was in that moment that it just kind of broke. And so I don't have any plans of doing that. Davin probably hopes I do so he can make fun of me all the way home uh, tomorrow. So yeah, with that said, we'll dive in uh, this evening. Uh, a good friend of mine last summer asked me to come and preach for him and, uh, during his sabbatical season. And so he, the, the series that he was doing during this time, he says, I just want you to come and share with me the one that changed you. And so he's specifically talking about, like, what's the one passage of Scripture that absolutely changed your life? And I want you to come and speak on that one passage. Well, after I got off the phone with him, I, I realized, like, man, that's a really hard thing to do um, in a sense of this, like, and maybe you would agree with this, but it's more the many have changed me in the sense that there's different passages of scripture during different seasons of life that have had an impact in my life. And so for me to pick the one, it's like, wow. I mean, I know you're trying to serve me uh, by not making me write a new sermon, but I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm not even sure what the one would be. Uh, and I say that, um, and even though I, I, I initially thought, what is the one and felt the struggle at the same time, this passage of scripture came to my mind immediately, immediately. I mean, it's the first one that I thought of. Um, so I went in my file drawer. I was like, all right, I know. <laughs> I'm saying like, I know I've got a sermon on this one. I mean, I've been in the pastoral ministry for 30 years. It's like, I know this is the one and I, I got a sermon. So I I did that maybe 20 years ago, I pulled that sucker out and I'm going, oh, dear Jesus, I, I don't even know how I even preached that. And so uh, obviously literally threw in the trash after reading it and, and, um, and wrote another one. And this sermon has been one that's um, 
just kind of messing with me a little bit. So um, even though it's a completed sermon, it's not a uh, completed journey yet. And so I, I come to you as someone who's still in process of this. If I had to title my sermon this evening, and I normally don't title sermons, part of the reason why is I don't have time to title a sermon for crying out loud. I'm just, I'm just thankful to get something down on paper. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to spend any more time trying to figure out what to title this dumb thing. It's like, this is what I got, right? But every once in a while, the Lord blesses me and gives me a title. And if I had to title this sermon, this is what I would say. Uh, Life with God, which I would explain that as uh, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, when you receive Christ, you begin this journey. It, it doesn't end. The end is not receiving Jesus in baptism. That's the beginning. And it's a journey. It is a lifelong journey with God. And you come in with that journey with all kinds of expectations of what you think this journey is going to be like. And I promise you, it is nothing like that. So life with God is a life of growing, and I would add to this, uh, deepening trust in him. So if I had to sum up, uh, what is the Christian life? What is it? What's it about? I would say it is this. Life with God is a growing and deepening trust in him. And so here's what I want to do quickly this evening. I want to kind of go through kind of three movements with you guys. The first movement, I want to just spend a few minutes unpacking this text. Just like I said at the beginning, yeah, it, you know, it's a pretty straightforward text. There's, there's, there's not like a lot of trick words in here. It's like, it's pretty straightforward. But at the same time, I don't want to make any assumptions, right? I want to make sure we all are on the same page. So I want to unpack the text, spend a few minutes of that. And then the second movement, I want to share with you a little bit of why this passage is, if I had to pick one, the one for me. Uh, so I want to share a little bit more of a personal story uh, with that. And then my prayer is to kind of land the plane with just some uh, invitations for us. And those invitations will be more questions uh, for you to reflect and think on. Uh, sometimes I'm good with sermons not having a nice closure. I think sometimes sermons can be, uh, hey, go think on this for a little bit. And come back and have all your questions for Josh. Amen. So, because <laughs> I won't be here next week. Uh, that's what I love about it, right? So, good stuff. Let's dive in. Let's talk about this text briefly. So, starting in verse 5 there, uh, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Trust here is a word that we can translate uh, hope, confidence, security. In fact, what the, uh, the writer does here, and this is what you'll see a lot with Proverbs and Psalms, uh, they'll explain uh, with the second line. So, so what does it mean to trust in the Lord with all of your own heart, with all your heart? Well, he explains that, kind of unpacks that in the second line when he says this, and do not rely on your own understanding. Or some translations, if you've got like an NIV, a New International Version, or the English Standard Version, it may say something like, do not lean on your own understanding. And so the so the, uh, the idea of trust here is this, um, it's kind of a, a visual picture of you actually leaning on like a railing. That, that's what the, uh, most likely Solomon is one that's wrote, wrote most of these Proverbs. Uh, that's the visual picture that he's wanting you to have here. So if you've got a back porch and uh, you've got some kind of railing on it, uh, the, the picture is you leaning your entire weight on that back railing and you're trusting, right, there's our word, that it's going to support you, that you're not going to fall down. That's 
the visual of what it means to trust in the Lord. To trust in the Lord with your whole heart means you're relying, you're putting all your weight on him and not on your own understanding and your own ideas here. So we've got to um, acknowledge something here. Um, it, this means then, if, if there's a command for us to trust in the Lord with our own hearts, all our hearts, it means that that doesn't naturally come to us, right? So, and what I mean by that is like, I, there's no command in the Bible that says lie. You shall lie, right? Okay, a little bit of laughter, right? There's no command. Even if you haven't read through the entire Bible, I promise you, there's not a command anywhere that says you shall lie. But there is commands that you do not lie. Well, what, what does that tell you? It tells you something about the human nature, right? So you have to have a command not to lie, which means human nature naturally lies. So then, put that same mindset in this passage. So if, if we're being commanded to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not to lean on our own understanding, then by nature, what do we have a tendency to do? Yeah, we have a tendency to trust in ourselves and lean on our own understanding. So please hear me. The author's not um, against any growth or us gaining understanding and knowledge. He's not against that. There is a place for us to be lifelong learners. But what he's warning us again is, is uh, or against is to elevating our own wisdom and our own knowledge above God's. To trust, to put our confidence in our own wisdom and our own understanding. And, and you can make somewhat of the suggestion that part of the story of the Bible is to wean you off trusting in yourself, right? I mean, the book of Proverbs elsewhere, and part of the, what Proverbs is doing is doing this. Uh, chapter 28, verse 26 says this. The one who trusts in himself is a fool, that's pretty straightforward, right? It's like, there's no holding back punches on that one. The one who trusts in himself is a fool, but one who walks in wisdom will be safe. Listen to how one commentator kind of puts this. Just consider those things upon which we lean in order to help us make good decisions on our pathways, our reason, our education, our intellectual capacity. I also added our experiences. A proper response to the Lord, according to verse 5 here, requires a redirection of that trust to God. This certainly does not eliminate our logic, our schooling, our intellect, and our experience as helps in our journey. But they do not guide us. They serve more, and I love this visual, as of a, like a walking stick that we use to help us walk while fending off potential pitfalls on the way of wisdom. We are guided by the Lord. We trust in the Lord's guidance. So what the writer of Proverbs is saying here is that the wisest thing that you could rationally do is to obey what is said here. Did you hear that? The wisest thing that you could actually rationally do is to obey what is said here. That is to trust the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. Then he continues on. Look what he says here in verse six. And this sometimes can be a somewhat confusing verse. But look what he says here. In all your ways, which in, you know, 
just more modern translation would just be in every area of your life. That's what he's getting after when he says in all of your ways, in every single area of your life, know him. Or uh, some translations uh, translated by acknowledge him or uh, you're aware of or having fellowship with or in, in basically just saying that we bring God's truth to bear in every aspect in every area of our lives. We trust him in whatever it is. Fill in the blank with your, your finances, your relationships, your job, your all things. Just fill in the blank there. And then he goes on in the second half of uh, verse, six, verse 6 here, and it can almost sound like a promise. And I just want to warn you from, from looking at Proverbs as promises. You, you've got to be careful. You cannot read wisdom literature as promises, because if you do, man, it will wreck your Christian life. It really will. They are generally true, but they are not promises from the Lord. And so, so it says, in all your ways, know him or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So, so how I would translate or help us understand that is that it's not a promise from God, but generally speaking, God will make your path straight or he will level out your path. It means more than guidance here. It means God removes the obstacles, making a smooth path or way of life, or perhaps better, bringing one to the appointed goal. Now, that does not mean that you're going to have a stress-free life, that you're not going to have any suffering, that everything's going to be great in your life. It's amazing because I'm trusting the Lord, and my entire life is one smooth sail. I mean, the, the wind is blowing my sail everywhere, and it's just awesome and wonderful. That is not what he's saying here. So what is he saying, Lyle? If he's saying he's going to make my paths level. Well, I think there's two things that he's getting after. The first is this, is that God will see to it that nothing will hinder you to reach his desired goal for you. Does that make sense? That God will see to it that nothing will hinder you to reach his desired end goal for you. Or as Paul put it in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, he says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. So what his end goal for you, he will make sure that happens. It doesn't mean it's all smooth, right? And life is gonna be stress-free and worry-free, right? No, but his end goal for you, he will see to it. The second thing I think is implied in this little second half of verse, uh, or in verse six here. And the best way I can just put this is that life with God works. Obedience to what God commands works. I mean, it's G.K. Chesterton that has famously said this. The problem with Christianity is not that it has been tried and found wanting. Right? Think about that for a second. The problem with Christianity is not that it's been tried and found wanting. The problem with Christianity is it has been found difficult and therefore left untried. So look, Christianity works. And what I mean by this, and I'm sure you've heard Josh say this before too, is that life with God is the good life. It is, but it is not the easy life. Amen? It is not. But life with God is is the good life. Generally speaking, if you obey the wisdom and Proverbs, it will make life a little smoother. A gentle answer does turn away wrath. Not all the time. 
You'll meet some bozo and jerk that does not calm down with a gentle answer. But generally speaking, it kind of works, right? Pride is not helpful. It's very harmful. So, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, if you become a Christian, then everything's amazing and wonderful. I'm just saying this. I've been walking with the Lord for 40 plus years. And the places in my life where I do have regret, where I do have shame, and where I do have guilt, and where I do kind of look back and say, man, I wish I would have done something different here. Most of those, not all of them, most of those are because I chose to trust Lyle. I chose to lean on my own understanding. And I guarantee you, that would probably be true for you also. That's what I mean by life with God works. And I think that's implied in what he's trying to say here in verse six. As one author says, he says this, sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Isn't that great to think about? Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Until I am absolutely convinced of this, I will do everything I can, to, can do to keep my hands on the control of my life because I think I know better than God what I need for my own fulfillment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And he will make your path straight. So I think that's what he's trying to say in the unpacking of this text. Giving a little more color to it. So why is this um, the one for me? This is where it is a little, little vulnerable, to be quite frank with you. And um, I wish I could say it doesn't ignite shame, but it still does even some 40 years later, uh, or maybe 30 years, not 40 years. So when I, uh, when I went to college, my desire was kind of to uh, be a high school teacher and coach basketball. That was kind of my plan. So um, that's what I pursued, and that's kind of what I went after. I had a history degree, planning on teaching some kind of element in history and social studies, whatever it is, and then finding some aspect to where I could coach high school basketball is kind of what I wanted. And so if you're not familiar with what goes on within uh, getting a teaching certificate, and this probably has changed a little bit even in my state, but at this time, a long time ago, back before... You know, we barely had computers back in this day. Oh my gosh, even saying that sounds so archaic for crying out loud. Um, but you had to take two tests in order to get your teaching certificate. One of the tests was a, a pretty extensive text. It was a very, uh, test, comprehensive test. It was like the longer test, six to eight hours. And it's intense. Um, so I took that and I passed that. That's the hard one, right? That's the, the hard one. And I thought, all right, because the next test is your major. Right? It's, it's three hours long, and you spent two years studying this stuff, right? It's like, that's the freaking softball, if I can say freaking here at Storyline. And if you're upset about that, email Josh. All right, so, uh, and I thought, okay, this is nothing, right? So you take this at the end of your senior year. I took the first one, passed it went to take the, the major one and the three-hour test on my major, and I failed it. 
So um, you can't take it like the next day. You know what I'm saying? You have, it's like some of the ACT. It's only offered so many uh, different times throughout the year. So I had to kind of make a decision on a job. I had to like figure out what my life's going to be like. And so I ended up taking a position as a part-time youth minister at a very small town in Ohio near Marietta, Ohio, Parkersburg, West Virginia. It's kind of the south uh, eastern portion of Ohio, if you're familiar with Ohio. So I went there. I took a, a part-time job uh, as a youth minister and then just found other work, you know, whatever I could find to, to make a living. You know, when you're single, uh, you can eat a lot of hot dogs and beanie weenies or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't need a lot of money to make it when you're single. Uh, with the intention of taking this test again, getting a job, coaching high school basketball. Took it a second time, failed it. I took it a third time. And I can remember like it was yesterday, going to my mailbox at this little apartment I was living in, grabbing the letter, opening it up, and I failed again. Three times, three times. This was probably later fall of the year after I moved uh, and graduated and serving at this church and a group of students were gonna go play basketball and these were the days when I'd actually play basketball. I don't play basketball anymore. It's like you get 50 or done or 53. Um, so I uh, really didn't wanna go play, to be honest with you. I was angry. I mean, I think this was one of the first times in my Christian life that I just felt a, a real sense of a crisis of faith. Like, I just did not understand this. Did not make sense to me. Why would you not let me pass this test? I've studied, I've studied, I've studied, I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed. This does not make sense to me. I was angry, um, and quite frankly, I just did not even want to do anything, um, so I agreed to go and play basketball and we would always go play at this gym of a Christian school at the time. And, um, and I remember like it was today, walking in this gym and it's similar to this. I mean, I don't know, maybe this, this place was built in the same time that little, because it reminded me a lot of this place and, and the, the, the basketball floors were like this, you know, you had no traction whatsoever. Um, but I remember walking in uh, the doors of that gym and up on the wall, uh, they have all these little banners. And the first one I saw was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways and I will make your path straight. I mean, I don't have these experiences a lot, guys, but I can re remember like it was yesterday I felt like the, the audible voice of God spoke to me in that moment. I'm a 21-year-old kid. He said, trust me, Lyle. Trust me. And it was from there, I kind of surrendered more to a full-time vocational ministry. Ended up staying at that church for about four years. Married Kathy. We moved up to Louisville. I went to seminary. And 30 years later, here I am. Um, Reflecting back on that moment, even as I wrote this sermon, it has shown me something about the nature of this journey of life with God that I did not know as a 21-year-old. I did not know. And the nature of this journey, this is what I mean by that, 
is this, this journey of life with God, this journey of trusting God, it will be marked by seasons of confusion, disorientation, situations that were absolutely unexpected, and maybe the repeated frame that you say over and over, if I were God, I don't know if I would have done it like this. If I were God, I think I would have done this instead. That's why this simple verse can be so helpful because it implies a truth about life with God that we often overlook. Throughout the entire New Testament, the emphasis on the Christian life is not necessarily on the beginning, but on the end. We got to endure. You've got to make it to the end. And one of the keys to enduring is continued trust and not leaning on our own understanding. Now, granted, this may just be me, all right? But here's my conclusion, all right? It seems to me in my journey with God over these last 40 plus years, God saved me when I was seven years old. I'm 53 now. One of the most difficult things that hinders me from enduring, which is connected to trusting, is the lack of closure to some of my stories of my own life. Are you following me? That that the difficulty sometimes, and I'm, I'm speaking personally here, it may not be for you, all right? But personally, what's difficult and what hinders me in this work of enduring, right, that the Spirit of God empowers us to do is the lack of closure to some of the stories in my own life. Yes, I know the right words. I know the theological truths. Yes, I know some of those pieces help bring some closure to some of those stories, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't alleviate the difficulty in trusting. It doesn't. That's why I said this journey with God is a lifelong growing and deepening of trust in the Lord. It isn't like you accomplish this, right? You don't do a study and check, I got trusting down. One writer says it like this, in life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Think of that just for a second. In life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Many of you in this room, you have stories that do not have closure at all. And you're going, what is this? What is going on here? In this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Our deepest longings are never really satisfied. Here are a few of my unfinished symphonies. Just like most of us in this room, I've got some unanswered prayers that remain unanswered to this day that my wife and I have been praying for for years, for years. And I'm not exaggerating. And look, I, I get it. 
Look, I've been in pastoral ministry for 30 some years. I, I know what prayer is. I know what it's for. I, I do, all right? And at the same time, we also recognize that God says, come and ask. Come and knock. Come and seek. Come and plead. And as far as I can tell, these things that I've been praying for seem, right? Oh, my goodness. They seem like what God would want. This would seem like his desire. And there are times when it feels like the very opposite of what we are asking for is happening. Do you have that? Do you have prayers you've prayed and sought the Lord? Do you, just, just hang with me. I'm bringing some closure to this. But do you not see the difficulty in trusting? You not see how hard that makes trusting? My mom is um, 82. She'll turn 83 in June. Um, she's in a nursing home right now suffering from one of the most horrible diseases that I have ever come in contact with, and that is Parkinson's, where it just absolutely debilitates your physical body. I mean, I, it's awful. I, I just, I don't even, I can't even explain to you how horrible it is. My mom is basically confined to a bed. She cannot move. Um, she is shriveled up. She has to be fed her food right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's awful. And for two years, two years, I will go see her, and I wish I could say I leave um, feeling somewhat restored and feel like I'm trying to be a good son, whatever, but usually I leave angry. Angry. My mom is a, a child of God. She loves Jesus with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I do believe that absent from the body means we are present with him. And there are times when I'm going, what are you doing, God? Take her home. Take her home. We had a little girl uh, who was born May 28, 2004. Her name was Kay. She passed away on October 31st of 2004. She lived here for five months. And May is always a, uh, a month that's bittersweet. Uh, she would have graduated high school last year. She would have finished up her first year of college this past year. And God has used this incredible in our lives. He has. I, I by the grace of God, I'm here today. By the grace of God, my wife and I are together and our relationship has deepened as a result of this. And I have seen how God has used this absolute tragedy in our lives in ways that it's been not only encouraging and helpful for us, but it's been encouraging and helpful for others. And at the same time, at the same time, there is not closure. There's not. There are still aspects here that are absolutely confusing and questions. And sometimes, if not more than sometimes, makes it difficult 
to trust the Lord with my four living children. I'll give you one example. I was, I was at a, um, a grief luncheon. Um, it's called First Hour of Grief. I went to that last week. Zach got invited to it. Somehow he got a table. <laughs> I just thought this was going to be like a few people and this person sharing about their ministry. It's a nonprofit ministry. And I thought, all right, yeah, it's a free lunch. It's like, I love free lunches, amen. And so I go there, and it's, it's massive. It's like 300 people there. It's, it's, it's a fundraiser is what it is. It's a massive fundraiser for this. It's a, an incredible organization that they have there in Louisville. But I had no idea what this was. I really had no idea what, what we were getting into. And so um, basically... The stories that they were sharing is um, families who lost children, in essence, either through a, a car accident. The, the, the main speaker who did a phenomenal job, I actually want to get her a book on grief. Uh, she shared her story of how her 12-year-old went through a horrible accident of, uh, where she, he was drowned. And, and so, like, all of this is coming to me. And this is on the heels. I just got done doing a funeral of a 40-year-old man who died of this rare cancer, um, wife of 15 years, and they got two small boys, and he was in my student ministry. I married them. I mean, this is coming on the heels of this, one of the most difficult funerals that I've ever had to do in my entire life. And I'm listening to all this grief of people losing their children. And, like, I've never had a panic attack, but I, it was really close then. It really was. I was struggling. So much so, and you can get Conlon probably, I don't know if she showed this to you, Davin, or not. But I, I like, I had to text, because you know, he's 17 years old and he's driving a little more on his own, obviously. And it got so bad to where, specifically with him, I just had to text him. And I feel bad that I did this. And, and I went through a list of stuff. Make sure you look both ways. Make sure you buckle your seatbelts. Make sure you're driving slow. Do not play with your phone. Do not answer it for absolutely no single reason, whatever. I mean, all of this list of stuff. And inside me, what I wanted to be able to do is just trust the Lord. I did. But honestly, in that moment, and to my shame, I said, I did before, and it didn't work. Look, all of us in this room have similar situations to the ones that I've just shared with you. Every single one of us can articulate confusion, disappointment, frustration, things that do not make sense. And at the end of the day, and I'm not trying to put a nice little bow on top of this, and I'm not trying to be trite or trivial in any stretch of the imagination, but at the end of the day, in the midst of all these confusions, what we have left is will we trust God? Will we? If I don't have closure to my stories, will I trust him? And I'm not saying that Jesus is inviting us into this sort of blind trust at all. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, we've got an entire Bible that records for us the faithfulness and the trustworthy 
Ness of God, like it is all right there. And I personally can look in my 40 plus years of walking with the Lord and point out so many ways that he's been trustworthy. So he's not asking me or you to do this blind leap. Trust me, right? He's not asking that. Nor, nor am I saying that we need to kind of have this sort of like, uh, you know, cliche kind of mindset of just kind of letting go and let God, all these stupid things that we say as Christians sometimes, this sort of, this sort of passive resignation. No, no, God wants us to wrestle with him. He wants us. He wants a real relationship. He doesn't want this studio kind of relationship. He wants an honest relationship to where, like, I don't think I'm dishonoring the Lord and, and, and voicing my struggles because I've voiced all of these to him, right? We're, we're in communion with this. So he's not wanting, he's not inviting us in this blind leap of trust here, nor is he wanting this weird let go and let God type stuff. No, I think the posture that he's wanting from us is this posture of surrender. It's almost like, and I know these are not equal, but it's almost like the moment when, um, when in, I think it's in John 6 where uh, Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which is really hard to hear, right? And I can't unpack that right now. And, and people just left. They, they left him. I mean, and I kind of understand, like, okay, this is getting strange. But there's a whole reason for that. We can't get into that right now. But then he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, you guys going to leave? Are you going to leave? And this is one of those moments when Peter actually said something that was like, okay, you, you're getting it, Right? He looks at Jesus and says, well, where else would we go? You, you have the words of life. And at the end of the day, that's all I got. I don't have any place else to go. I got to trust him. It's surrender. It's, it's Jesus in the garden. I don't want to do this. But I'll submit to your will. I love how one writer talks about trust. He says this, trust is the classical Christian tradition calls detachment. It's neither a passive resignation nor a fatalistic acquiescence to whatever comes. It is rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives into all situations. So look, I'm just gonna end with a few questions <clears throat> and maybe and hopefully I haven't done this maybe I've opened up stuff for you and I don't know if I've done a good job helping bring closure but just like I said at the very beginning sometimes sermons land on us for us to do a little more reflection it doesn't have to end here but here are a few questions how is God inviting you right now to trust him or another way of saying this where is he inviting you to trust him? In your relationships, school, job, career, marriage, kids, whatever area of life. Do you really want what God wants for you? That's the question I'm really wrestling with. Or do I want what I want and God to make that happen? You would think, man, after walking with the Lord for so long, that would be kind of done, right? But man, it's just not. It's not. I want all four of my boys to marry wonderful ladies and have kids 
and we live happy ever after. That's what I want. I'm just being honest. That feels very Disney, but it's what I want. It's what I want. But I'm in a journey to where I want to submit my desires to his desires. And I want to get to a place where I really want what God wants. I'm not there yet. I'm growing, but I'm not there yet. I'll close with this hymn. And some of us may know it. If you don't, that's okay. And I think songs are sometimes hard for us when we sing them because we, yeah, because sometimes they, they, they voice what's not really true about you. But I would just say that, hey, this part of worship is praying. You know what I'm saying? So you sing something and you're praying at the same time. And I think that's kind of what this old hymn is for me. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. And this is my prayer. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Amidst all the unfinished stories of our lives, oh, for grace to trust him more. Let's pray.